1: First, let's pray ourselves, Lord. We do come to you now because we are very needy, and we're very, very poor, and you are our answer. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to meet the need of learning this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast. But unto thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Okay, now, this is a chapter, a very important chapter here, the sixth chapter here of Matthew. It opens with two words, take heed. And you could say that that pretty much sums up what the Lord has been teaching in this whole teaching here. It's all about taking heed. It's all about being careful. And so far we've seen that the Lord has taught us to take heed or be careful of something which was really radical, no one ever heard this before, because he began to address what might be called heart sins. Heart sins, what is a heart sin? Well, he explained to us there is a heart sin of adultery. There is a heart sin of murders. And this was altogether new for the Lord to direct people to look at their heart for sins. And beware of focusing on just the outward, which the Pharisees did. As a matter of fact, he called that the leaven of the Pharisees in Luke 12.1. Luke 12.1, he said, in the meantime, there were those that gathered together an innumerable multitude of people in so much that they trod one upon another. And he began to say unto his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So when the heart is not aligned, then it's hypocrisy. In this chapter, the Lord Jesus is going to continue to drill down on the differences between an inward focus on the heart and an outward focus on religion or externalism. And the Lord is gonna make this demonstration for us here by talking about three examples in life. The first example are what are called alms or good deeds. The second one is called prayer, and the third one is fasting alms means good deeds. In the Hebrew, tzedakah, which means righteousness. Some places you'll see it translated that way. So the Lord starts in these first four verses with the issues of good deeds, and he uses a phrase here that he will also use when it comes to prayer, and it's this phrase to be seen. To be seen in Matthew 6, 1. Take heed that you do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. So The problem that he's addressing here is one where a person is living a life trying to attract attention to himself. Instead of living the life that God told Abraham to live when he called Abraham in Genesis 17.1, Genesis 17.1 when it says Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. So God was not calling Abraham to be perfect in the sense of be sinless because that was impossible. But the word perfect here has the the idea of wholeness or complete. It's actually my name, Tom, but it's not really my name. But anyway, that's how you pronounce it. Anyway, in other words, he was calling Abraham, don't be a hypocrite. Be wholehearted. That was God's call to Abraham. God calls his people to live a life as if they were walking in their lives in front of God and God was right behind them, seeing every step that they're taking. That's what he meant when he said, walk before me. And God wants his people, God wants us as his people to live that kind of life. Instead of looking around and saying, well, who's watching me? The difference is what the Lord Jesus described in John twelve forty three. John twelve forty three, when he said, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So the example here that the Lord is using is what he's calling sounding a trumpet. Sounding a trumpet or standing in the synagogues and streets to have glory of men. This is what he's using here in the second verse in Matthew 6-2, Matthew 6-2. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So this issue of sounding a trumpet in the synagogues, what does that mean? Well, the, the receptacle, you know how we always start here that we do not pass the plate here at the chapel, but there's two boxes in the rear for your offerings. We don't say that anymore. We don't have any money. No, no I'm just joking. You know. <laughs> the way it was done at that time in the synagogue was that the receptacle wasn't passing a plate, but the receptacle was actually a brass funnel that looked like a trumpet. And so it's made out of brass. as the shape of a trumpet. So when a person threw a coin in it, it made a lot of noise. And if they threw a lot of coins in it, it made more noise. And so much noise that everybody turns to said, well, who's that that just gave so much money, you know? <laughs> the trumpet, it was designed to make noise. It was the same as the slot machines at Barona Casino or the other casinos. You know, when a person hits the jackpot, the machine doesn't stay silent, it makes a lot of noise so everybody can look and see who won all the money, right? so. That was the first thing the Lord addressed. Second, he called attention to standing in the synagogues and doing good deeds so that you could be seen. Now, I've attended several Jewish ultra orthodox Hasidic type weddings, you know, with the big hats and all that stuff. I asked my friend one time, his daughter got married, and I asked my friend, I said, there was obviously spent a lot of money on this wedding. I mean, there was all kinds of food and everything i said how much did that cost you i asked my friend you know he said cost me he said i'll tell you he says picture a new mercedes he says to me brand new mercedes with all the options on a beautiful and then he says picture this mercedes driving down a pier right over the side (laughs) (laughs) he said that's how much it cost me So, but each one of those weddings that I've gone to, with the ultra-Orthodox, you know, with the clothes and everything, it all started the same way. Everyone gathers together in a large room to meet and visit and talk, you know, before the ceremony gets started in this big room. And in this room are several older women, poor women. They're not dressed like they're coming to a wedding. They're kind of dressed not so nicely, you know. I mean, they're just, you know, and they're really not part of the wedding at all. But in every one I've gone to, there's been these older women, not the same women, of course, but you know, there's different women. And they don't go into the ceremony. They just are there for this meeting. And they approach each person from you pictures. Everybody is standing around, they're seeing these women. And these women come and they approach every person with their handout. They're begging for money. Everyone sees who's giving to those women. Now, that's an example of standing in the synagogue and doing alms, doing good work, good works to be seen of men. Yeah, I mean, the first time it happened, I said to my friend, I said, How much should I give her? You know, I don't know. So the Lord said that when you give, give without your left hand knowing what your right hand was doing. You know, this is like your right hand is reaching into your pocket. For some money, and your left hand's kind of waving around, you know, saying, look, I'm going advertising some gift that you're going to give. That's the left hand, knowing what the right hand is doing. I saw this happen. When I was on the board at Grossmont Hospital, as a board member, I had, to, for 11 years, I was a board member there, and I had to attend many uh, fundraisers. It was just expected. I had to do it. And the hospital was raising money for this and that, for example, when they built the West Tower which is if you ever go to Grossmont Hospital, request a room in the West Tower. That's the best one. That's the new new one. And then you may notice that in the back of the hospital, there is the heart and vascular center. Well, that went on for years, that building. And there was all kinds of fundraising for equipment for the catheter- cardiac catheterization lab or the surgical suites or the clinical lab. So there were several fundraisers. Now, there was always this one doctor who would come to fundraiser, And he would wait to the middle of the speech of the organizer who was there and in the middle of the speech, he would get up out of his chair, he would walk to the speaker, interrupt the speech, and hand the speaker a check for like $50,000. And everybody go, oh, you know, that all designed to be seen of men. It's common, another situation happened where a very beloved doctor died and wanted to name an important room for him. And so what I learned was that it's common in hospitals to have specific sums of money that have to be donated for specific rooms to be named after that person. You know, actually, when someone does have a room or a building or a tower that's named for them or their name's engraved on a wall for having given the diamond club or the gold group or whatever, you know, this amount of money, that's a continual sounding of the trumpet for the gift. And so this is what the Lord's speaking about. Now, next, the Lord spoke of good deeds in the streets, to be seen of men. He said in verse two, they have their reward. Literally, the Greek is reading there, they have all their reward, which means that they're not gonna get anything more. Now, and he called, he called it also their reward. He didn't say God's reward, it's their reward. Their reward was to get attention and praise from men, and whereas God told Abraham that his reward was totally different. When he said in Genesis 15, 1, Genesis 15:1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now that's the greatest reward we can have is the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of friendship with God. So to guard against this problem of seeking glory from men The Lord advised in verses three, four, to just be unconscious of doing good works. One hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing. It's it's all in secret. Now, the Lord now comes to prayer in verse five. The Lord comes to prayer, and three times he says the same phrase. In verse five, when thou prayest. In verse six, when thou prayest. And in verse seven, when you pray. So the point here is that the Lord never said, if you pray. But the Lord always said when you pray because prayer is expected prayer is normal prayer characterizes a believer that's what we should be doing we should be praying people when the Lord wanted to describe to the disciples how they could recognize the new Paul the Lord said to them in Acts 9:11 Acts 9:11 the Lord said unto him arise go into the street which is called straight Inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. That was the distinction. Behold, he prayeth. And that's what the Lord wants to do with us. He wants to look at us and say, behold, he prayeth, because that's the way his children should be. Now, the Lord, again, warns what not to do in prayer. In verse 5, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of streets that they might may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So here again, the Lord is calling out two practices of prayer that should not be done. It's the practice of standing to be seen of men. Now, it reminds me again of another Orthodox rabbi friend of mine who was in my house one time and we were all there in the living room and, and in the middle of our conversation, he announced it was time to pray. It's time to pray. And he wanted to know the directions. Where's north, south? Because he had to pray facing Jerusalem. So, you know, he says he has to pray. So I think, well, okay, it's private. I said, uh, I told him, I said, well, the first bedroom's empty. It's private. Why don't you go there to pray? But that was a, oh, no. He insisted on praying right there in the living room where we were. And he puts on his big, black, shiny prayer robe, and he prays. Okay, so that was something. And then we went on later on. We couldn't eat at my house because it wasn't kosher, so we had to go to a kosher restaurant so we could eat. Okay, so again, we go to this kosher restaurant there on El Cajon Boulevard. And again, it was time for him to pray facing Jerusalem. And so what did he do? There he stood up right in the middle of the aisleway of the restaurant to pray. See, this is all verse 5, that they may be seen of men. As a matter of fact, this whole issue here is the reason why I don't fly on L.L. anymore from London to Israel, because the Orthodox stand in the aisle of the plane to pray, and you can't get around them to go to the bathroom. So, you know, British Air has my business anyway. So now, the next practice in verse 5 says, "...standing in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men." Now, um, you know, I spent some time, as you know, in Addis Ababa, in Ethiopia, and it's very common there that, you know, when you're walking down the street, that all of a sudden the church bells ring on the Orthodox churches there, and men will just find a very prominent place next to the sidewalk, and they'll stand right there facing the church, and some of them clap their hands, and some of them, others put their hands out like this, you know, to really show they're praying. And the Lord said about all this in verse 5, they have their reward. And again, it's the literal the translation is they have all their reward. They're not going to get anything more. In other words, they're not going to hear the reward of the Lord saying to them in Matthew 25:23. Matthew 25:23, the Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. These warnings, all these warnings about how, what not to pray, it's very discouraging. And, you know, and, But the Lord says, don't stop praying because of this. As a matter of fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray without ceasing. Don't stop. It's a, Luke 18.1, Luke 18.1, he said, he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Don't give up. Now, the issue here is that there are two types of prayer. There are two types of prayer. One prayer is heard by God and is effective. This is what's referred to in James 5.16. James 5.16. It's called the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In Psalm 145.18, Psalm 145.18, it says, The Lord is near unto all that call upon him. He says, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. Then it goes on to say, to all that call upon him in truth. And it's that last part, to all that call upon him in truth, that tells us about the prayer that's not effective, that goes nowhere, that never rises. Like the prayer of the Pharisee in uh, Luke um, 18, Luke 18, 10, that says, uh, two men went up into the temple to pray the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee and stood and prayed thus with himself: "God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, as extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess." And the publican, standing afar off, would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but smote his upon his breast, saying, "God be merciful to me, a sinner." I tell you, the Lord says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. So the proud Pharisee in Luke 18:11, Luke 18, 11 is described as the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He was praying with himself. He wasn't praying to God. It reminds me of a Sunday when a preacher prayed a very long, elegant prayer at Park Street Church, which is right on Boston Commons. is downtown Boston. You know where that is. And prayed a very long, elegant prayer. Well, there was a newspaper reporter in the congregation. And the next day, the newspaper reporter wrote in the paper, that was the most beautiful prayer ever prayed to a congregation, is the way he put it. <laughs> now the Lord directs what to do in order to avoid praying to be seen of men. And he says in verse 6, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So the Lord says, go to the most private place to pray. And the most private place to pray is the closet of your heart. It's the inner closet of your heart. And a person can be in a very crowded public place and retreat to this inner closet of the heart to pray. I mean, it reminds me what, and I used to, you know, we had an office in Tokyo for 10 years, and I used to travel to business appointments in Tokyo during rush hour, and then return. And I always went through Shinjuku Station, because that's where my hotel is close to. uh, Shinjuku Station. Well, Shinjuku Station is a station where 3.5 million people go through that station every day. Can you imagine that? (laughs) That's the population of San Diego going through this Shinjuku Station. What station? Every day. And they were so crowded that everybody would rush onto the subway cars that they had train workers with white gloves, and their job was to shove and push the people in so the doors could shut (laughs) so you might be standing there and you think this is good my space and all of a sudden people are pressed in against you they're smashed in there and you're there with thousands of people and you don't know one of them you're a total stranger but during those subway rides i would retreat to the inner closet of my heart and i used to have wonderful times of prayer and the lord said something very important When you do that, retreat into the inner closet of the heart, and that's in verse 6, shut thy door. Now, to shut the door means to keep out intruders, and keep out unwanted guests. And it refers to, who are the intruders, who are the unwanted guests? Those are the distracting thoughts. Those are the thoughts that compete for our attention and our focus. So to shut the door means to refuse to listen to these screams of the urgent. You know, oh, you forgot this. Oh, you need to take care of this now, or, you know, it's not going to get done and the world's going to come to an end. And So so to shut the doors is to refuse to be pulled away. It's refuse to say to the Lord, hold on, Lord, I'll, I'll be right back. You know, this is what these people did to the Lord in Luke 9, 59, Luke 9, 59, when it says, and he said unto another, follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. Go thou and preach the gospel. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. Let me first go. Bid, my, bid them farewell, which are at home in my house. So the problem is this, let me first. And to shut the door is never to say to the Lord, let me first go. I'll be right back. No, shut the door is to take the position of Nehemiah He's called to do this great work, build the wall around Jerusalem. And then the call comes, leave the work and come down to this valley and have a discussion. And Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 6.3, Nehemiah 6.3, and I sent messages unto them saying, I am doing a great work and so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? So shut the door is to take that Nehemiah position of this is a great work in prayer. I'm not coming away distractions that pull us away from prayer is the greatest obstacle that you and I face in prayer. That's it. And that's why it's so important to shut the door. Turn the cell phone off, the ringing of the thoughts, take the phone off the hook and go into the inner closet of the heart. That's what's meant by shut thy door. Now the Lord says in verse six that we are to pray to our Father in secret. That means that that when we go into the inner closet of our hearts to pray, no one should know that we're praying. It's a secret, it's a secret. No one on that jammed rush hour Tokyo subway knew that I was praying. It's a secret, it was secret.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God.